0: Well, hey, worship team, thank you so much for leading us in worship, and Sam, it is so good to have you back. I, um, I was distracted just because you're there, but also then I looked at his, your, your feet, and uh, there's these bare feet, and uh-huh. it's January. I, I, I don't know too many others who, who do that. So anyway, well, well, welcome to week three of a, a four-part series that we're doing called Whispers. And we've got a whole lot of ground to cover today. So we're going to dive right in. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Have you ever stopped to consider the power of words? One of the things that I've noticed as I've been reading a lot lately is there's a lot more articles that are talking about the mind lately. And just how remarkable and significant mind is and mysterious it is. Well, words enable us to literally give people a piece of our mind. That's what words can do. We can take a piece of our mind and give it to somebody else. I've heard some people talk about words like they're a a spiritual force. And I think that's good language because words can hurt and words can heal and words can bring peace or words can bring more anxiety. Words can build up, words can tear down, words can bring hope. Words can take hope away. As we said before, words create worlds. And then consider the power of self-talk and what a difference that can make. Self-talk, it it can transform you. Self-talk can paralyze you. We could spend hours and hours just talking about words and how powerful they are. But let's move on to discussing the implications and the applications. And let's start with this. There's a place to write this down too. A lot can get lost in translation. We got, we got several married couples sitting right in here. I'm sure that never happens ever in your relationships. That, that happens with everybody all the time, doesn't it? You know, think about how often it happens where there's something in our mind that we want to connect with somebody else's mind and, and, and it gets lost in translation, You know, in friendships with coworkers, you know, maybe you sent the email that was taken the wrong way or maybe the words that you said, tried to use, they were misinterpreted. Maybe you're learning another language. How many know or kind of know at least another language? Right. Have you ever done, you think somebody, you're, you're getting it? what they're saying, and then you're not. I've had that happen so many times. You're like way off. Well, if you're just joining us for this, this series, you know, this is a series about trying to discern the mind of God. If the God of the Bible's real, then this mind of God knows all things. And if that same God desires to truly lead us and to guide us, what would you give to be able to discern the mind of God. When these words come into your mind, what would you give to be able to accurately discern what are his words and what aren't? If the words of a person can change the world, how much more is this true? If there is a creator of worlds. The psalmist writes this, Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens are made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Consider the implications of that. The person who hears God's voice is aligning with the essence of reality. The Bible provides carefully vetted accounts of a lot of things, including the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And according to those ancient documents, Christ was more than a master communicator. He was the Word made flesh. In the example of Jesus, we then can see what happens when human lips are aligned with words that have God's authority. Storms are calmed. The sick are healed. Demonic oppression is cast out. Sins are forgiven. Even the dead are raised through the powerful word of God. Is there anybody here who wishes they could discern the mind of God with greater clarity? I've seen a lot of this. If so, I got good news. There's a place to write this down. The same God who spoke in the past is speaking today. We made that point earlier before in this series. We want to make that point again because it's true. As I mentioned earlier in the series, I didn't grow up with a framework where Hearing from God was something you would even consider. Didn't have that framework. And when I started reading the Bible for myself and I would come across a part of the the scripture where there was a conversation that God was having with someone, that did not fit my experience at all. I had no reference point for that. And, And in my mind, when I was trying to get some little picture, I guess I would think God was talking in an audible voice and people were answering back. But, but the whole thing was foreign to my experience. But the more I started to think about that later in life, we've got examples all around us that really demystify the idea that, we, that, that a, a God that we can't see the way we see each other in this room, that that God could communicate with us. Um, how many of you have a, a device that can communicate? with other devices without using an an audible voice. We've all seen this type of thing. We have devices that can receive signals and they can interpret those signals. So, demystifying this, could an all-powerful being, if an all-powerful being exists, could an all-powerful being create people who are hardwired to be able to receive these kind of messages. And would an all powerful being be limited to only communicating audibly? No, you know, and we see someone having a conversation with God in scripture, it's possible that that conversation was taking different forms. God speaks through his creation. God speaks through his actions. God speaks through Christ. God speaks through scripture. God speaks through our consciousness. And God speaks through others. God speaks through people. And that's the one we're going to focus on today. If you're taking notes, here's what we're going to explore. How can human voices help us discern heaven's whispers? That's what we want to talk about today. The older I get, the more I realize nothing matters like relationships. Can I get an amen? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing matters like your friends, your family. Loneliness and isolation and having no choice but to obey a command. People would willingly choose death and do over that. You know, imagine, imagine a device that was created to connect and it can't. That's us without connection. That's us. And that's not who we were created to be. The older I get, I also realize more and more that if we can't make choices, if we can't make mistakes, if everything is pre-programmed into us like computer code, then all we are is this. What's my point with that? My point is if we can't make mistakes in our hearing, if we can't misinterpret, if we can't choose which voices we listen to, we're not we're not human. You can ensure complete and perfect transmission of signals, or you can have the human experience. You can't have both. You can't. Okay, so there's my intro. Before we open our Bibles, I want to summarize because I've just thrown a whole lot of things out there, um, including the fact that Sam wasn't wearing shoes today. So let's see if we can summarize this before we move on. Um, You and I are designed for connection. We're designed for it. When we communicate well we're connecting at a mind level. When we're doing it well, it's, it is, we are, we're locked in. But a lot can get lost in translation. Imagine a life that is willingly guided by God's wisdom and God's love. And the point I wanna to make today is the right human voices, the right human voices can help us discern God's whispers. And notice I use that word right, the right human voices. Boy, how many of you have seen people use the God told me card in flippant ways, in manipulative ways, in destructive ways? And how many of us know the Bible is filled with cautionary tales of false prophets, deceptive influencers, fallen angels, and even our own selfish motives? and how all of those things can cloud our our thinking and, and make it really, really hard to discern the voice of God. Well, the right human voices can help. With the remaining time we've got, let's see what we can learn from examples of people getting this wrong and people getting this right. Let's start with the getting it wrong. The example of people getting wrong that we're going to look at today can be found in Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 27. If you don't have a Bible at home, um, I've been saying, hey, go to youversion.com. I didn't know they had switched over to bible.com. That's even easier to remember. Just go to bible.com. You can download a free Bible app right there. All kinds of um, reading plans. There's a lot of stuff right there. All right. Before we read this passage, here's a little bit of context Um, For those who are new to reading the Bible, the Bible is a collection of ancient documents. And the document we're going to look at today, we call it the book of Joshua. It is one of the oldest that you're going to find in the Bible. Joshua was mentored under Moses himself and was given the responsibility of leading the Hebrew people into the promised land. Now, as a former skeptic, I love when there's collaborating evidence that comes alongside the scripture and to support that these things really happen. Well, there's an ancient archive I found out of about 400 letters that were sent from the Canaanites to the Egyptian pharaohs. And you can look this up yourself. You can Google our Amarna letters, A-M-A-R-N-A. So here's what's going on. So Egypt was the superpower at the time. They controlled this region. And there's multiple letters coming to the Egyptian pharaohs from Canaan that mention a growing threat from people that they call the Habiru. The Habiru. Now, if the word Habiru sounds familiar, let me put these both up on the uh, the screen at the same time. Here's the English transliteration for Habiru and English transliteration for, for Hebrew. Do those look at all similar? Some of those letters they might be collaborating what we're about to read. That, hey, there are these Habirus. They're coming into our area. They're invading. Can you help us? Can you help us? So that might be what's going on here, all right? So let's open up uh, Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. We'll start there. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezerites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, when they heard of this, about this these invading Habirus, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and all Israel. All right, so here's, here's an example. As I mentioned earlier, in that time, in that place, Egypt was still the local superpower but they're having problems of their own. So that region was controlled by little mini kingdoms. I used to wonder this when I would read the, the, the Bible as, when I was younger. Okay, why does it keep using kings? It sounds like they're just talking about a city. Well, the rulers of that little city, were, they were little kings. Little kings of these, these, these mini kingdoms. Well, The leader, like I said, of that city would sometimes be called a king. And then that city would control the area around it. So when the Hebrews entered the land and began conquering these little cities one at a time, a group of kings, we just read, came together. And their collective discernment was, let's fight. Let's fight them. Anyone know how it worked out for those kings? Not so well. Well, there was another city that took a different approach. Let's read about that. Picking up with verse three, we'll go verses three through five. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out, torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their possessions or provisions were dry and crumbly. If you didn't know the word crumbly is in the Bible, it's in there. Like crumbly. Now there's a really interesting language shift that happens right here. In verses one through two, the ones you read earlier, the only decision makers were the kings. The only decision makers were the kings. Well here in verses three through five, It appears as though more voices were included in on this conversation. And if we had to stop right here, that would not be a bad takeaway. That when we start acting like little kings of little kingdoms, we have all the answers, we can get into big trouble. Can I get an amen? Well, just as there's collaborating evidence from archaeology, that the Hebrew people were real people, there's collaborating evidence also from archeology span that the city of Gibeon was a real place. Gibeon was about 15 miles from Joshua's camp, about the distance from here to the US Bank Stadium. Believing that the Hebrews were under the protection of a God who is more powerful than their gods, the Gibeonites are like, this is happening right down the road, we need a plan, and their plan was to pretend that they were from really far away. Let's go back to the text here, verses six uh, through eight. Six through eight. All right, so, And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? And where do you come from? All right, so do you notice that they're suspicious? That they think something is up here. You know, Jesus himself taught us. He said, be innocent as doves, but also be, does anyone know? Be wise as serpents. We should be innocent, does but they were right to be suspicious, and let's uh, let's let's take note of that. All right, so the Gibeonites, Gibeonites, or the High Vices are called here. They're ready. They're ready. Okay, they might be suspicious. They were ready for cross examination. So now let's turn to uh, verses. We got nine through I think it's thirteen. Let me just confirm that. Yeah, let's go nine through thirteen. So the Gibeonites, the Hivites, they said to him, said to to Joshua, Oh, from a distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and what he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shahan, the king of Heshbon and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So the elders and all the inhabitants of the country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journeys uh, and go and meet them and say to them, we're your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Hey, here's our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses and for food for the journey on the day that we set out to come to you. And look, now behold, it's dry and crumbly. Again, if you ever play in like Bible trivia and you got a up thing, you know, does the word crumbly come in the Bible? It comes in twice. All right. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they burst. And these garments and sandals of ours were worn out from the long journey. That's not a bad script. You know, we live far away. We've heard your God is mightier than our gods. And look, here's evidence. Here's evidence that what we're saying is true. Now, what comes next is a rare example in Joshua where the narrator inserts some commentary. This doesn't happen much in Joshua, it happens here. And here's what the narrator says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord, they listened to reasonable arguments with their ears. They examined convincing evidence with their eyes and the story seemed to check out. But there's a reason why. The narrator felt the need to speak up. They went with what made sense in their own minds, but they didn't inquire of the Lord. All right, now, there's all kinds of unanswered questions here, including whether or not the Gibeonites would have been spared if they had told the truth. The text doesn't tell us that. One of the things that God does reveal about himself is he says, oh, I would much rather that you would turn from the path that leads to death and turn to the path that leads to life. So we know that about God. And then there's this, another unanswered question, chapter 10, if you've ever heard about the sun standstill still miracle, that was triggered by this. That was triggered by this treaty with the Gibeonites. So would that miracle even happen had they not lied? So there's all of these questions that we don't have the answers to. So many questions, but here's at least one takeaway. People can get it wrong. People can get it wrong. Can church people get it wrong? Yeah. Can groups of church people get it wrong? Yeah. Can people who got it right get it wrong? Yes. And here we see even Joshua and his advisors. They get it wrong. And the narrator calls them out for it. They came to a logical conclusion, but they did not inquire of the Lord. What does inquiring of the Lord look like? what does discerning God's will together look like? This is a bad example. Let's look at a good one. Let's look at a good one. An outstanding example of people getting it right is Acts 15. We're not going to read that whole passage because we actually use this example in our race series. And so if you missed it, if you want to go back, October 31st, Halloween Sunday, 2021, we, we went through this Passage and we unpacked it. Acts 15 is such a great example. It's a great template for people getting it right. In that situation, they were faced with a highly divisive and, and really complex decision. So, what did they do? They gathered together as Christ followers. It wasn't a couple little kings. And there wasn't one scripture that they could point to that spelled exactly out. But you see, they're bringing in scripture together. They listened through Christ. They listened through scripture. They listened to one another. And together they searched for a response that, quote, seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Isn't that a great target right there? That's Acts. If you want to write it down, Acts 15, 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Boy, that is so different than most of the examples that we see around us, isn't it? What they did in Acts 15. It is not hard to find church people who make their decisions like Joshua and the team did in in, in Joshua 9. okay, We look at what's what's right in front of us. It looks like this is the conclusion. So we go with that. It's not hard to find that all around us. And then another trend that I'm seeing that is very not Acts 15 is for church people to not even look at the evidence themselves, but just to go with what some little king says. Like a celebrity pastor or an internet influencer, political party, and I wish I could do mind to mind on this one because one of the huge concerns that I have right now is there's a new form of Pharisee that I'm seeing influencing a lot of people. And this Pharisee uses gospel language, which is what makes it so dangerous. They're using gospel language They're telling people, you got to take a strong stand for Christ, but their actions and their tone is so not Christ-like. They're quick to flip tables. They're slow to wash feet. They're quick to point fingers. They're slow to look in the mirror. They're quick to quote, quick, (laughs) they're quick to quote scripture unless it's a Verse about being real slow to judge those outside the church or to pray for those who persecute us or how our struggle is not against flesh and blood or how if we have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, we have, does anyone know what it says, First Corinthians 13? We have nothing nothing I thought I heard a whisper this morning let me put it out there for your discernment the leaven of the Pharisees is as toxic today as it ever was can I get an amen this is such a growing problem that I I think what we need to do as church family in this fall let's have a series call it toxic and let's go through the book of Galatians together I'm seeing a new wave of this, but it's more dangerous because people are claiming the gospel, but acting in a way that is so not Jesus. Now, on the other end of the continuum, there's other voices. And I believe at least for a lot of these folks, their heart is in a place of compassion. They're saying what they're saying because they really do care about people. There's a whole lot of influential voices right now who are saying that love requires us to accept and embrace behaviors that the scripture puts boundaries around. Is it loving to tell people there won't be consequences for directly disobeying commands of scripture? We're going to put that conversation on our church calendar also this fall we're gonna circle back to talk about human sexuality. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31, you can write those down, look it up. They're both in the Bible. They're both in the Bible. And that's the point that we're trying to make this morning. If you want to discern God's voice with greater clarity, one of the best things we can do is not just listen to people, but to listen to other listeners. To listen to other listeners who are humbly seeking to discern God's will together with you. What's a listener? A listener is someone who's doing their best by God's grace, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. They're doing their best to weigh everything up, to the example of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, and also doing everything they can to to weigh it up against the rest of scripture. In 1 Kings 22, there's a story of a king. The king wants to know, should I go to war? So he he consults 400 spiritual advisors, and they all give the same answer. They give the kind of answer that would get you a whole lot of likes today. They give the kind of answer that would get you the photo op with people in power. All 400 spiritual advisors gave the king the same answer, but there was one person who had a different perspective. That person was a listener. I would rather have one listener helping me discern God's will than 400 spiritual advisors who already think they've got all the answers. If you're not walking in humility, you're not walking with Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. I can't even begin to tell you what a blessing it is to have listeners in your life. Oh, especially in the internet age when it's easy to find 400 people quoting the Bible, but it's not a word from the Lord. You know, isn't that exactly what Pastor Dan last week, he gave examples the devil himself quoting scripture, right? But it wasn't complete. It wasn't the right context. It was twisted. I can't begin to tell you what a blessing it is to go to our elder meetings where the only agenda in the room is let's make a God-honoring decision. We got one of our elders here, thank you. It's so humbling. You come in that room, there are so many wise, seasoned, mature followers of Jesus. I mean, Collectively, you've got so much life experience in there. And yet, I'll just put it out there, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm serious, I'm serious, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it amazing to see how slow that group is to speak and how quick they are to listen? No one in that room thinks they have all the answers. Many of you know Sharon Steen. Um, She was the chair of our elder board before her and her husband, Ryan, uh, moved down to Colorado. Sharon introduced us to this book. It's called Pursuing God's Will Together. It's by Ruth Haley Barton. This would be a great resource for a small church, for a group of friends, for, for, for a family to, to, to look at some of these principles. Because imagine that. Imagine having a group of people around you who they were trying their best. How do we not just give each other good advice? How do we not just look at the, what's in front of us? How do we truly pursue God's will together? I can't imagine trying to navigate these last few years. If the people coming into the meetings, the elder board, the past relations committee, the nominating committee, we're coming in with different factions and agendas. Oh man, I can't imagine that. A tool like that book would be a great discussion starter for the groups that you're a part of. They say there's safety in numbers. You ever heard that phrase? There's safety in numbers. This is like that the more people you have in your life who are also filtering their thoughts through Christ, filtering their thoughts through scripture. The more people you have like that in your life, the more likely you are to make wise and God-honoring decisions. Well, in addition to having groups, oh, isn't it great to have individuals in your lives too? Because there's some things that you don't want to bring to a whole group. And isn't it great to have individuals who also are listeners who you can go to? I'm so blessed to be married to my best friend and someone who wants to love and honor Christ. I'm so thankful to have men in my life like Roger Twitos, Tim Stennerson, Steve Krueger, Nate Morris, Mylon Homola, Mark Stromberg, our new elder chair, Jeremy Marr, who I can bring hard questions to and I know I'm gonna get more than great advice, I'm gonna get a listening ear from someone who also keeps an ear pointed towards heaven. We recently lost a saint, Joyce Heyer. I asked her family if I could have permission to share this. Joyce is one of the wisest and most discerning people I've ever known. When I was in my 20s, early 30s, Joyce was one of the only people on the planet who could call me into her office and I would actually listen. On paper, Joyce reported to me, in Christ, Joyce Heyer was my older, wiser sister. Emmanuel is filled with active listeners. If you want to start 2022 strong, find your people. If you don't already, imagine having trusted voices in your life who know you. They love you. They know and love Christ and they love the scriptures. And imagine that group coming alongside you in times of decision, praying for you, that God's going to grant you wisdom. Imagine having people in your life who are further along than you in this. Coaching you along like someone who knows another language better than you know it. Coaching you along. Here's how you can hear the voice of God. Imagine this. People coming to you on occasion saying, I was praying for you and this thought came into my head or this verse came into my head. Does this resonate at all with you? And to have the experience, maybe some of you had this, where you're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's exactly what I needed. Or they give it to you and then you find out later that day, later that week, that's exactly what you needed. Now, bringing a word from God to you doesn't always take the form of advice. It can take the form of encouragement. Joyce Hardwick, Rhonda Mermel, you are two of the best encouragers I know. They're amazing at this. People like Joyce and Rhonda, they help us remember that God is for us, not against us. They can give you that that encouragement that you needed in that moment. Boy, everyone needs this next thing. Everyone needs people who also love us enough to give us those hard words too, Right? They love us enough to say, hey, brother, hey, sister. Well, can you imagine now, not just you having that, can you imagine a church filled with people whose wisdom isn't limited to their own minds? People who are able to help others discern the mind of God because they're committed to discerning the mind of God together. And when answers don't come, Or don't come right away to have these people, this group of people, this church of people reminding you that God is listening. He does hear your prayers. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he is more than able to work all things for good. We can learn to discern the shepherd's voice with greater clarity. Week one, we talked about listening through Christ. Week two, we talked about listening through scriptures. This week, we talked about listening through listeners, listening through listeners. And next week, Pastor Jason is gonna help us understand how we can, in the season coming up, we can listen, we can apply these things, listen through Lent. Well, today's closing song, it casts a vision for the kind of people we can become as we become a church of listeners. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that you created us with the capacity to willingly seek. Cuz with that out that capacity, we're not different than a phone. So Lord, help us right now. We pray for your Holy Spirit. Help us yield our will to you, to seek you and trust you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, I pray for those who don't yet have their people, Lord. We pray that you'll help them to find and make friends and mentors, folks who can come around them and who they can come around that we may become Family that you desire us to be. We pray all these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen.